we're going to finish up the Sermon on the Mount section this week. And the Sermon on the Mount section, I nestled into the John reading just at a time where John notes simply that Jesus went up to Galilee to preach. And so while we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon series from the pulpit has been to elongate that time right before Jesus went to Galilee. So that uh, we've been hearing a multiple set of sermons on the Samaritan woman, which was finished this morning, I think, with with Avery's profound sermon on worship. And so that was really nice. Now, last week, I tried to tell you that the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus took the core teaching on how to live out of the Old Testament and put that into one place. So that's the way the slide should have animated last week. I didn't get to do it, so I'm going to do it again. It took all of the core of, of how to live and put it into one place in the, in, in, in the teachings of Jesus. And the early church used it that way. So what I want us to do for a moment is, is look at it from the perspective of the Bible. Now, we as Christians have a Bible that's divided up between, hello... Is divided up between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know that. That's the way it is. But when Jesus was teaching, when Jesus stood up there and he taught the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Bible that Jesus was reared with, when Jesus was at the temple, that Jesus would discuss with the rabbis, that Jesus would have read or that Jesus would read from in the synagogue. His Bible is what we would call the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus, and it was the Bible that his apostles grew up with as well, and his disciples. So if we think about the Old Testament being their Bible, then we come to the New Testament, which is something we have, and the New Testament, we understand, was written... Inspired by the Holy Spirit, who used and wrote through the apostles or through their authority. So, for example, Mark is not an apostle, though he was a disciple of Jesus, but Mark wrote Peter's gospel. And so it's the the, the gospels and the book of Acts and, and Luke who wrote Acts. Not an apostle, but writing through the authority of Paul through the authority of the church, and under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we've got the writings of the New Testament, and those are the writings by Jesus' followers. They're the writings that become the scriptures in addition to the Old Testament for the church. Now, it's been a long time ago since I taught the church history class. And our attendance in class was running about 150 at the time. So a bunch of you were not in the church history, oh, hey, guys, series that I taught. But for the, sorry, I'm up here. I get to see a bunch of people I don't normally get to see. So the Pruitts are over there. Hi, Pruitts. And so um, uh, the, the church history series, we spoke about a book. We spoke about a book called the Didache. Now, the Didache is a book you can buy today. You can buy it in English or you can buy it in Greek. You can buy it in both. The version I brought today has the Greek on one side, the English on the other. It's also known as the teachings of the 12 apostles. It's the earliest Christian 
writing we have outside of the New Testament. And most scholars recognize it's older than parts of the New Testament. Probably older than the book of Revelation. Probably older than the epistles of John. Probably older than the gospel of John. It dates somewhere, depending on the scholar you follow, between 50 A.D., which would just be 20 years or so after Jesus, between 50 A.D. and 125 A.D. And if it's the late date, then it's going to be after the Gospel of John. It's going to be after Revelation and the Epistles of John. But if you put those writings of the Apostle John in the 80 to 95 A.D. range, this in all likelihood was written before that. So it's extremely old. And the interesting thing about the Didache is you find in it the earliest practices of the church outside of the New Testament. It's not written as a gospel. It's not written to teach you uh, the life of Jesus or to reintroduce that. The life of Jesus, the gospel of Matthew had already been written. The gospel of Mark had already been written. I believe the Gospel of Luke was either being written or had already been written, depending on the date, because I placed the Gospel of Luke in the late 50s. So this is called the teaching of the 12 apostles, because that's the first line in the book. Didache is the Greek word for teaching. So if you were reading this in the Greek, a couple of you know your Greek letters from your time uh, in a sorority. The first word in the Greek is didache. Didache, here it is in lowercase. The teaching of the Lord through the twelve apostles to the nations. And what this is generally seen to be is a a, um, kind of an early church catechism, a how-to manual. If you didn't grow up a Jew, you might not have Jewish scriptures. So these are to the Gentiles, to the nations. This is a how-to. Now, if that's what the Didache is, it's the early church how-to manual. And the first part of it, the first few chapters are are, uh, how to live. The next couple of chapters are how to, to, to baptize, or the next chapter. The next chapter is on fasting. The next chapter is on worship. See, so they've got the chapters and communion. They've got chapters on these things. They're not big chapters, but it's how do you live? How do you do? How do you function in the church? You all with me so far? Okay, so let's take the teaching board down and let's think about this together. So Jesus's people in, in his day, in his age, their Bible is the Old Testament. The Bible for the church is the Old Testament and it quickly adds to it over time the New Testament. And then we've got these writings that are not part of the Bible, but just the fruit of the church. Among them, the Didache, which has the earliest how-to manual. If we are right, let me go back a couple of slides. Sorry. Boom, 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 boom. If we are right, there, that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' core 
that takes the Old Testament teachings and, and reduces it down into kind of a, how do you live? If we're right on that, then what do you think we would find in the Didache, which is the early church version manual of how you do, how you live? You think you'd find a bunch of the Sermon on the Mountain here, wouldn't you? Let's just look at it. This is the English side. I figure it's easier. The teaching of the Lord through the twelve apostles to the Gentiles. Or you could translate ethnoi nations. There are two paths, one of life and one of death. And the difference between the two paths is great. This then is the path of life. First, love the God who made you. And second, your neighbor as yourself. And whatever you don't want to happen to you, don't do to someone else. That's the golden rule. Out of the Sermon on the Mount. Just put in the negative instead of the positive. Jesus was a little more positive. What you do to others, what you want done to yourself, as opposed to don't do to them what you don't want them doing to you. This is the teaching relating to these matters. Whoops. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. Fast for those who persecute you. Why is it so great to love those who love you? Don't the Gentiles do this as well? You should love those who hate you. That's Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Then you'll have no enemy. Abstain from fleshly passions. If someone slaps your right cheek, turn to him the other as well. If someone compels you to go one mile, go two. If they take your cloak, give them your shirt. Give to everyone who asks and don't ask back for anything. The Father wants everyone to be given something from the gracious gifts he himself provides. You see, this is, this is the Sermon on the Mount in the early sections. So let's go back then to the PowerPoint. And if uh, this is what we've got in the Didache... Uh, we got to write it. Sorry, it takes just a minute. Ba, 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 the Didache, the Didache. Now, if that's what we've got, it's a marvelous thing to look at this core teaching of Jesus that the church has been using for 2,000 years to help new Christians learn what to do. And it's nice. So today we begin with the... Um, Passage out of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge another, you yourself stand condemned. And if you look at John, at Matthew 7, let me put it up here. This is a really interesting passage and it's interesting in the Greek. Judge not... That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eyes? That word speck is sawdust. This is Jesus. He was a carpenter. He worked with wood for 30 years before he says this. You get sawdust in your eyes when you work with wood. 
Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eyes and you don't notice the log sticking out of your own eye? How do you say to your brother, here, let me get that sawdust out of your eye. When you've got a log sticking out of your eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, there's a tendency here to take the word judge and use it like a lawyer might. I'll be back in trial tomorrow. Judge Rebecca Doherty will be presiding. And she will make judgments. And when she makes a judgment, we all follow it in the courtroom. That's the way. That's what a judge does. And a judge can make those judgments. In fact, that's the job of a judge, to make judgments. But the Greek word here has a different... It can mean that. Don't get me wrong. That's a legitimate meaning. But it's got a different aspect to it that I really hope you and I can connect with. Um, when I was a younger Christian, I never had... This was not one of those problem verses for me in the Bible. I sat there and thought, well, I'm not going to judge anybody. Because I thought of the word judge in a judgment law sense. I mean, I know what they're doing is wrong, but I'm not going to judge them. The word actually has a, a different slant on it. And when we understand what Jesus is saying here, it spooks me. Because it turns out, I do have problems with this. Turns out, I'll bet most of us have problems with this. It means don't be critical. It means don't criticize. Don't criticize someone else. Now, I mean, I, I sit here and say, well, I, I don't have to. They're criticizing themselves. Look at them. No, be really, really, really careful. And Jesus is right. We all really have a temptation to see things in others that that are actually our own problems. Maybe in the context Bible, I should have put the story of Nathan going to King David. And David, uh, uh, you know, has, has committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband killed. And Nathan comes up to David and says, David, what you, there, there's been a travesty in your kingdom. And David says, what's the travesty in my kingdom? He says, a man had, had 99 sheep and another fellow only had one and someone was coming over for a party. And so the man with the 99 sheep just went and stole the sheep of the one, the guy that only had one, killed it. And David was so on top of that story and so quick to judge and so critical and criticizing of that person and said, how dare they do that? That's reprehensible. That person deserves to die. Only for Nathan to say, uh, that was actually just kind of a, a, an allegory for what you've done. <laughs> you're the, you're the guy, you know, and David's like, oh, I didn't see the log in my eye, but I didn't use that story. I should have, don't get me wrong, but I put it somewhere else. So instead what I did is I went to Ezekiel 35. 
Now, Ezekiel 35, Ezekiel is a prophet who's writing after the fall of Israel and the fall of Judah, the fall of the southern kingdom. So in Ezekiel chapter 35, Ezekiel's making a prophecy against Mount Seir and against uh, 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 some others. And look what he says. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. That was a pagan nation at Mount Seir. And say to it, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you. I'm going to stretch out my hand against you. I'm going to make you a desolation. I'm going to make you a waste. I'm going to lay your city's waste. You're going to become a desolation and you'll know I'm the Lord. Why? Because you cherished perpetual enmity, you gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. Therefore, because you critically judged them, I'm going to prepare you. Whoops, thank you. Therefore, I will prepare you for blood and blood shall pursue you because you did not hate bloodshed Blood shall pursue you. Because you danced over them being a waste and a desolation, you're going to become a waste and a desolation. This is what happens. You reap what you sow. We should not think, Jesus says, that we can afford to be critical of other people. Because the criticism you're lashing out on them is criticism that's coming back your way. And so that's just the way of it. If if uh, we look at it, I also put, if we go back to the PowerPoint, thank you. In addition to the Ezekiel 35, we put the Luke passage so that we could see how Jesus' writers, uh, or the writers of the New Testament were saying the same thing. Luke tells the same story, but Luke does it with this additional context that Jesus gave it, which really rings well with the Ezekiel 35. Judge not, and you'll be not judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And that's the story that of Mount Seir. They were dancing over Israel's travail, and the same travail was coming to them. What place do we have as believers to be harsh and critical of other people when in fact as believers we should be interceding on their behalf? When, when, when the pastor was preaching this morning, and, and he said, you know, it, it was either that or when Brent was leading the singing. I don't remember which one because the worship all merged together for me. But either Brent in singing or pastor in, in, in preaching said, God, may your spirit so indwell us that people perceive us to be different than everyone else. That's not just a magic button. That means our pores emit spiritual pheromones. That means the Spirit of God is at work in us changing who we are. 
You want to be different than everybody you meet in the world? Change your perspective about others where instead of being critical of them and instead of criticizing them and instead of finding what's wrong with them, you see it, but when you see it, your reaction is not to say it or to proclaim it, but instead to pray about it. And moreover, to say, Lord, help me to address such areas in my life so that I'm different. That's the teaching of this. So, from there, we get, don't give the holy to dogs. Don't give pearls to pigs or pearls before swine. Edward Fudge, many of y'all know, Edward's a dear friend of mine, um, uh, battling Parkinson's uh, 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 and, and just... Doing well with it, but but it's been a real struggle for him. When Edward was was a younger man, Edward's always, even when he was younger, he was older than I am. Um, and and Edward and I have always had fun of of par par parrying parrying's not a word parrying you know, thrust and parry yeah like party without the t parrying with scripture. So one day, we both approached uh, uh, an office building. We were going in together, and I opened the door for him. And I said, age before beauty. And he didn't miss a beat. He walked right in. He said, no, it's pearls before swine. (laughs) Don't give the holy to dogs, Jesus says. Matthew 7, 6. Uh, I think at this point, I I, I have it uh, wrong there. Whoops, that's Mark. Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. They're just going to trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I gave one of our, our passages for this was Proverbs chapter 9. I love Proverbs chapter 9. I love it in part because um, it's it's very structured. Do, did any of y'all or do any of y'all watch the detective show Monk? Monk? You know, um, there are some of us who don't think he's unusual. <laughs> and kind of like everything in its place. Anyway, the uh, um, the monk in me... Loves Proverbs 9. Loves it. Let me tell you why. Um, I'll put it up here. It starts out, it's so symmetrical. It starts out, wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her animals and mixed her wine and set her table and sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Hey, simpletons, come here. Come eat of my bread. Drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That's the first six verses. Okay? It's really good. Now, watch this. Skip to the last set of verses. Because it contrasts with the first six. That was the way of wisdom in her house. The woman, folly, she's loud. She's seductive. 
She doesn't know squat. She's, that's what it says in the Hebrew. She's, she sits at the door of her house. Now you see, wisdom's at her house. She's getting everything ready to help people, to help the simpletons and calls out to the simpletons, come feast upon all this goodness. The seductress, who knows nothing, just sits at the door of her house. Instead of taking her seat at the table, she seats on the highest places of the town. Instead of sending a woman to say, come you who are simple, the foolish seductress calls out to those who pass by and says, Hey, simple one, come here. She's calling for the same people. To him who lacks sense, she says, instead of come partake of wisdom, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And the poor simpleton doesn't know that the dead are there. And her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So I love this passage because what the passage does, it appeals to the monk in me because this is up. Oh, stay with the Elmo for a moment, guys. Thanks. Uh, here we go. Boom, 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 boom. The reason it appeals to me is because Proverbs 9 has this section about wisdom for six verses and then a section at the end about foolishness or folly. And that's the end of it. And do you know what it does in the middle? In the middle is a big commercial for the TV show. And the commercial in the middle is what really stands out. This is an Old Testament writing technique that we talked about many times when we were doing the Old Testament survey called chiasm. And the beginning and the end echo each other to force the attention in the middle. So these middle verses are absolutely important to us. And they are the ones that really stand out in what Jesus was saying about casting your pearls before swine. You want to understand what Jesus meant? Here it is. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Don't reprove a scoffer. He's just going to hate you. If you reprove a wise man, he'll love you. If you give instruction to a wise man, he'll be wiser still. If you teach a righteous man, he'll increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One's insight. By me, your days will be multiplied. Years will be added to your lives. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, eh, you live with it. That's your life. The thrust of what Jesus is teaching, don't cast your pearls before swine, on the heels of where he's just said, don't be critical and judge others. The thrust of what he's teaching is what we have here in Proverbs. It's not go out there and say, I'm not giving this to you, you swine. That's judging. Jesus' point is, don't be a swine. Jesus' point is, don't be a dog. We should seek the holy. We should seek the worthy. 
when you read these Proverbs, the, the answer to this is, you know, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. You reprove a wicked man, you incur injury. Don't reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. But look, give instruction to a wise man and he's wiser still. The lesson is not simply, hey, don't throw your pearls before. The lesson is don't be the swine. You know, I want my kids to grow up and honor the Lord. Why? Am I worried about church attendance and how many people show up at church? No. Am I worried, oh gee, I want my kids to grow up and be a Christian because there are, there, there are too many uh, atheists in the world. And we need to depopulate them. No. Do I want my children walking holy because I just have this fantastic desire to see, you know, certain good deeds done? Not really. The bottom line is, is the Bible teaches and and God teaches that this is the best way to live. I don't want my children in misery. I don't want my children's lives cut short because they go out and do the stuff that causes people's lives to be cut short. I don't want my kids to be miserable. I don't want my kids when tragedy strikes. And all of a sudden they realize the only place to turn is God. I don't want my kids to to not have a relationship there to turn to. I want my kids to have the roots that grow down deep into the soil of God's Love and nurture and character and nature and who he is. Because it changes who they are and how they live their life. And it changes the joy that they have. I have so many people. When I I was in high school, I had friends who said, man, you got to junk your religion while you're in high school. Because it's just not any fun. And you'll find them at all the ages of life saying that, I've decided. I've got people my age who say, you can't have any fun. Because you're all wrapped up in trying to do what's right. And I feel bad for these people. Because I don't think they have a clue how much fun my life is. I don't think they have a clue. Oh yeah, man, I clap all the time. It's a happy time. This is a great life. And the stresses and the the strains and the toils that, that can cause people to snap are ones, if I'm snapping, I'm only snapping because God wants me to snap. And if he wants me to snap, I want to snap. Because I want to be right where he wants me to be. And, 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 and that's what this is about. So this how-to manual is not a how-to because God is the, the persnickety old man with a beard and gray hair and a rocking chair up in heaven reaching out a bony finger saying, ah, don't let them do that. That's too much fun. We're going to make that a no-no. I just arbitrarily decided. We're going to let them have fun, but not too much fun. No, not at all. These are the things he's told us so that we can live life to the fullest. 
it's really a cool deal. Don't get in debt. Oh, but it's so much fun to be in debt. See, we learn these things. We were playing uh, Pictionary. I was playing Pictionary back. Uh, I'd been out of law school maybe four or five years. And if I don't know if it works for college or wherever you've gone or even high school or whatever. But when you get out of law school, you get unsolicited all of these credit cards in the mail. Everybody just sends them to you because they want you to use their credit cards. I had credit cards for things I'd never heard of. Okay? And we were sitting there and we were playing a Pictionary. And one guy, a, a lawyer, I uh, won't use his last name. His first name was Walter. I'll, I, I'll never forget Walter. Walter just stopped in the middle of the game and looked up wistfully. And he said, remember the good old days? Now, I mean, we're like 25, 26, 27. And I said, what? He says, yeah, remember the good old days when we were too poor to be in debt? <laughs> he was already suffering this great... I said, what are you talking about? He says, man, I used all those credit cards we got after law school. He says, it's killing me. It's killing me. And uh, you know, Try to get a hold of these things sooner than later and actually live them. All right, we go back to the PowerPoint. So uh, Paul says the same thing. Uh, don't give the holy to the dogs, pearls to pigs. Uh, he uses a dog analogy in Philippians 3 that I, I, I added to it as well. Um, Philippians 3. He, he takes it a little bit further, but it gives you the flavor of how they felt about dogs. Sorry, Melna Moriarty. Um, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. It's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for those who are evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We're the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul's taking it a step further. Paul's saying, not only do we want to be holy, but the fact that we live a life like this should never be cause for us to be self-righteous. There's a difference between living holy because you want to honor God and you believe what God has told you when he said, this is the way you should be. There's a difference between that and living holy out of a self-righteousness out of an arrogant pride, out of an idea that you are or I am someone special, the Barney Fife syndrome, you know, there's a difference between those two. Paul says the person who's trying to be self-righteous, those are evil-doing dogs. Any righteousness we've got, any ability we've got to no longer be critical, to no longer be criticizing, to do these things, that only comes from the Holy Spirit living within us and the love of Jesus teaching us to be different. So when we're doing well, as Keith Green said, help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. And that's what it's about. And that's the believer's life. So, we go back to the PowerPoint. By the way, this don't give the holy to dogs or pearls to swine. In the Didache, in the Didache, they say this means do close communion. 
don't don't let the unchurched come in. That's the way they interpreted it in the Didache. But and that, that could be part of it. But all right. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For this, we went to the Old Testament to Second Chronicles 14 through 16. It's an amazing story. I hope you had a chance to read it. If not, I hope you get a chance to read it. Obviously, I'm not going to read all three chapters up here. But um, there was a king named Asa. Yeah, just We'll stay on the PowerPoint. I'll just tell the story. There was a king named Asa. Asa followed the Lord. And he did for decades. Until he reached a point where he was pretty self-sufficient. He reached a point where he was able to do it pretty much himself. He'd reached the point of dogness that Paul's referencing. Where he's feeling pretty self-righteous. So he gets the disease of the feet. And, and, and he calls in all the doctors, but he doesn't humble himself and seek the Lord's help. And he's told, ask the Lord for help. He says, I, 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 look, I've been, I've been, a, I've been following the Lord for decades. I know how he does this stuff. He doesn't really help. He sends a doctor. So I got the doctors. I don't need to ask the Lord for help. Just let the doctors do it. And he sends for the doctors. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And the prophet who's writing Second Chronicles just cries out to him and says, Idiot, ask the Lord for help. And he doesn't. And he dies from it, lamentably. Here's a man who's followed the Lord for decades, was a good king, but he gets disease of the feet. And he won't ask the Lord for help. I mean, it's just, you don't like the story, don't blame me. It's in here. I'm just telling you what it says. I put with it the New Testament passage out of 1 John. And the 1 John passage, I did some verses out of chapter 3, and I did some verses out of chapter 5. But I want to show you specifically the chapter 5 passage. Because some people say, well, I'm not going to pray. When I pray, it never works. Oh, don't be silly. You're alive and you're breathing because someone's prayed for you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, there are a lot of Christians, on <laughs> just side point, who have eternal life and don't know it. They still live in fear over it. This is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, this gives us right here the key. Sorry, that's my little personal diagram for key. It's not great. Here. That, that makes it a little better. That's the key. That's the key that will unlock your prayer life. We want to be praying for God's will. And when you pray for God's will, he hears you and he answers the prayer. And his will is done on earth. 
as it is in heaven. It's an amazing thing that the Lord of God has a will and he expects us as his children to pray it into fruition. It's kind of cool, actually. So anyway, that's uh, um, the passage that we take from there. Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. Then we have the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. When Jesus said this, it was already a commonplace saying in Judaism. The rabbi Hillel was approached by a man who said, if you can teach me the Torah in five minutes, I'll convert to Judaism. Actually, there was another rabbi, Shammai, who was asked that question first. And Rabbi Shammai took his cane and beat the guy and said, Get out of here, you heathen. But when the guy comes up to Rabbi Hillel and says, If you can teach me all of this Jewish law, all of your Torah, in five minutes I'll convert and become a Jew. Rabbi Hillel looks at him and says, Uh, Whatever you don't want someone to do to you, don't do it to them. That's the whole law. The rest is just commentary. Now go, convert. It's a rabbinical story from a rabbi who's about 30 years older than Jesus, 25 years older than Jesus, to put it into time perspective. So this is what we have. The the whole Torah is wrapped up in this, do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. It's the same thing that we get in Matthew. We get it in Luke. You get it also in the Didache. We looked at it earlier, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. So that's just, that's one of them. Next, use the narrow gate. The wide gate leads to destruction. Now we have trouble with this passage. This was in uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus says the Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path, and few there are who find it. Enter the kingdom by the narrow gate. We have trouble with that because gates for us generally are built into our backyard fences. And that's a gate. Gates back in the day that this is, and and we went to an Ezekiel passage, I think it was Ezekiel 46. Gates were the designated entryways into the cities. And some gates were designated entryways even into the temple. And Ezekiel tells the story about how certain gates are reserved for certain groups of people. And there are narrower gates for for the princes to come in. As opposed to the broad gates for the masses. And then we put with it Psalm 100. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I made my little sister memorize that in Hebrew when she was in elementary school. I gave her like a quarter for doing it. I used to give her, never mind. Anyway. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to enter his gates. I'm coming into his presence. I'm coming in the way he directs me to come in. And when Jesus says you enter the narrow, don't enter the wide, it's not just a reference to how easy it is to just go through with the crowd 
it's also a reference to how special it is that God has prepared a special gate for His children to come into His presence. And if you want to enter the narrow gate, the gate into the presence of Jesus, the door, I mean, to the presence of God, is Jesus. It's His death, burial, and resurrection. And it's, we enter through Jesus. Not just don't go along with the masses. That's a wide road that leads to destruction. Yes, that's part of it. But don't leave out the part of you are special. You are chosen. God has prepared for you a special gate for you and I to enter into his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts and praise in our voice, recognizing today's a special, marvelous day that God has made. And I'm going to rejoice in it. And I'm going to be glad in it. But this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I hope you join me in that. Now, Matthew seven fifteen through 20 warns against false prophets. I love this story out of Chronicles. I put with that. This is where Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom of Jordan goes up to Ahab, the pagan, horrible, idolatrous king up in Israel to join forces for a battle. And, and, and Jehoshaphat, who follows the Lord, goes up to Ahab and says, Hey, don't you have a prophet of the Lord who can tell us whether or not we're doing the right thing here? And Ahab says, Hey, I got a 400 prophets. They're all saying the same thing. And he brings them in. But none of them are prophets of the Lord. They're the prophets of Baal. And Jehoshaphat says, You know, 400 is nice. That's a lot and all. But I, just give me one. I just would like one true prophet, please. One from the Lord. And Ahab says, well, he, it, Jehoshaphat says, surely in all of Israel, you still got one prophet of the Lord. Ahab says, look, there's this one guy, but I hate his guts. Every time he just says something horrible about me. And, 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 and Jehoshaphat says, look, let's get him. Okay. Well, I just need a word from the Lord. So <laughs> the, Israel's king sends the guys to get him. And when the guys come to get him, they say, hey, listen, would you just like not say something bad about the king this time? This is like going to be real formal. It's real important. He's going to battle. There's already been 400 prophets who've said, hey, go to battle. Just kind of come on. Okay, we got swords. And uh, the, the prophet says, hey, in essence, with irony in his voice, he ultimately means to say, uh, uh, I'm going to just say what the Lord says. That's all I can do. And so he goes and he says, look, uh, uh, Ahab, you, you go to battle and you're going to die. You, you won't get out of it. That's going to be it for you. And the king of Israel looks at Jehoshaphat and says, I told you, this is the kind of stuff he says about me all the time. And they go to battle and the prophet of the Lord spoke the truth and he was dead. Uh, the king dies. And so uh, we've got that and, and uh, we, th- that's in there. We've read more. I want to, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. I love the passages that we put with this, especially the Jeremiah 35 is good, but the Hosea passages, Hosea 4, 1 through 12, I'm down to my last minute. Um, this is not good. Um, I would like you all to read Hosea 4, 1 through 12, uh, uh, if you're interested at all, because it really is interesting to me the way it contrasts 
what you say versus what you do. I'll tell you how we'll get there, Dale. We'll get there through points for home. First one is let's guard against criticizing. Let's guard against criticizing other people. And instead, really put a check on your heart and in your brain. When you want to criticize, first identify it. Try really hard to say, oh, I'm being critical. Then take that step back and instead pray for them. Now, that means basically I'm going to pray the entire time I drive. Because if you've been driving around me, I've been critical of you. Because there are a bunch of people in this town that drive horribly. But I'm going to learn to quit being critical because the truth is I probably drive worse than all of you. I've had more than one of you email me and say, you ran me off the road today. Thank you very much. See you next Sunday. (laughs) Next, I'm going to make a deliberate effort to pray God's will. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to tell him what I want, but I'm not going to have it as just some platitude at the end. Nevertheless, thy will be done. I really am going to seek what his will is. And I'm going to pray for it. And then, and then, I'm not just going to call him Lord and not just call it his will. I'm going to try and do it with my hands. If I pray for the will of God to happen and for God's will to be that person A learns the love of the Lord, then I'm going to try to share the love of the Lord with person A. If my prayer is going to be for person B, to, to, to have, have greater faith, then I'm going to try and show and live and be someone who models that faith for person B. If I'm going to pray that person C quits being critical, then I'm going to try to be an encouragement to person C and show person C by the words of my mouth positives. And when person C lapses into the criticism and the criticalness, I'm going to try and change the subject to something that's godly and try to just help gently maneuver the will of God into this world. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. That's my prayer. Can I pray it for you as well right now, please? Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters that we will all together in common as we come into your presence worshipfully today, that as we see ourselves for who we are in truth, and as we see you for who you are in truth, that your truth will begin, will continue, Lord, to transform us, to make us cleaner, to make us whiter than snow, so that we begin to show the world by the changes you make in our lives, that you are real and that you care. May we reflect your love as well as your character to the darkness in the world around us that needs it so desperately. We pray through the name of Jesus. Amen.